Hello, I'm Emily Billet, founder of Aspod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Is it the right time to invest? What happened in the financial market since January 2022 after US stock prices peaked? Should we expect a financial bubble now? These are some of the topics we discuss today with investment director Lauren French. She specializes in managing money for her clients, focusing on capital preservation. Her role is to create an overall portfolio of investments that is all weather to produce positive returns in different market conditions. She is a discretionary investment manager, so she will take the investment decisions on behalf of her clients at Ruffer. Today, we will focus on the importance of holding a diverse portfolio of assets, which should provide protection against the next bubble bursting. How do you maximize your sleep at night factor and shut down the noise when investing? As well as how do we review our investment strategies through live stages? And some tips on working with an investment manager. Please remember, stock markets can fall as well as rise and you may get back less than you invested. If you don't feel confident about making your own financial decisions, please seek independent financial advice. Want to give your money an opportunity to grow this year? Wealthify makes investing simple by choosing and managing your investments for you. And if you open a Wealthify plan and invest at least £50 by 30th of June 2023, they'll give you an extra £50. Terms and conditions apply. New customers only. The offer is capped at the first 500 customers. Find out more and claim the offer at wealthify.com slash the wallet. With investing, your capital is at risk and you could get back less than you put in. Wealthify is regulated and authorized by the Financial Conduct Authority. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of holding a diverse portfolio of assets. And maybe you can also explain to us what's a diverse portfolio of assets, um, which will provide or should provide protection against the next uh, bubble bursting. But before we get we go into that, can you please give us a little recap on what happened in the financial market since maybe since the beginning of 2022, uh, when, you know, stock price peaked and what happened to yeah the, the stock market and, and other asset classes like? Like, uh, bonds, maybe maybe property, and, and and maybe you know non-traditional asset classes. Yes, of course. Well, taking a step back and thinking about it now, it really was an extraordinary year on so many fronts. We had these real-world big shocks, which exacerbated the the market shocks that we saw. You know, everything from the biggest land war in Europe since 1945, the biggest global energy crisis linked to the 70s and and linked to that war. And for Europe, that's the biggest energy crisis we've ever seen. On top of that, although it might feel for some like a distant memory, China was in the midst of its largest COVID crisis. And then we saw some economic forces like inflation at multi-decade highs and the fastest interest rate hiking cycle in decades. So all of this combined made for a very toxic environment for nearly all conventional assets. 
you asked about equities, Emily, and, and they had the worst year since the financial crisis in 2008. And uh, the US stock market was really in the eye of the storm. We're talking about bubbles bursting today and, and the concept of a financial bubble. Well, the pain was felt very acutely in, in very popular stocks last year. So in the period leading up to last year, these stocks have performed very well. US technology stocks or those that are known as FANGs, the Facebook, Amazon, Netflix of this world, these stocks have benefited for a long time from the low interest rate environment that we've seen, and they've been heavily impacted by rising interest rate pressure. Um, but it wasn't just equities. Uh, the bond market had its worst year for a very long time. And so this kind of conventional method that investors talk about, about using offsets and diversity, uh, typically we look at bonds as more protective in nature and they can offset the equity market when it's having a hard time but last year showed that this sort of conventional way of thinking about investing has broken down with a typical balanced portfolio of 60% equities and 40% bonds falling nearly 20% across the whole of the year so taking a step back there were very few hiding places you know for the first 9 months of last year there were basically no conventional assets which provided a, a positive return and safety. And, and this is something, you know, I mentioned my role at Ruffer, that we study periods of market stress. You'd normally see some safe havens work, be it gold, which is a sort of trad traditional store of value or safe haven. And certain currencies in the eye of, of market stress uh, tend to work. Last year, only really the US dollar worked in, in that nature. So really, you had to be using alternatives to, to um, get any positive return last year. And, and in, in the case of the rougher strategy, that was seen through derivatives. So individual positions that actually go up when the market's falling, uh, sort of financial contracts um, that do well in a particular market event. And that was the primary reason that we held um, steady and made money in a falling market. But it was a, a very difficult and challenging year. And you mentioned um, financial bubbles, and that's something I, I wanted to cover. But maybe can you first give us, um, you know, a definition of what financial bubble is? The the um, image that a, a bubble denotes is is much like when you blow bubbles with your children, and it's sort of appropriate way to start when when you think to define this. It's you know um, free of any forces until they burst, and then there's a messy consequence afterwards. And financial bubbles are, are much the same. Um, Robert Schiller is someone who does a lot of work in, in the space of looking at stock markets and is the behaviour of the market rational or not and logical. And he reverses that and calls um, a bubble a, a, an unsustainable increase in prices brought on by investors' behaviour rather than by genuine fundamental information about value. And that's the key here. It's it's the impact of our behaviour as investors on, on driving some irrational movements in prices. Now, there have been many famous bubbles through, through history, and we've seen them emerge all the way back to, you know, the tulip mania that sometimes yeah. is discussed as one of the first financial bubbles in the early sort of 17th century. But there's many more recent examples like the Internet, the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s, 
the financial um, stock crash in 2008. And arguably what I've just described is the sort of everything bubble <laughs> last year, which we saw start to burst. Um, but how long that's kind of actually going on for and if it's really a bubble bursting it is, is remains to be seen. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, you know, looking back historically at these bubbles, it's a really good lesson for long-term investors um, to, to see and watch the market during these times and how the market, you know, tend to recover from, from this, this period of, um, of crisis. So, you know, we've had, we've had a difficult year, but how do we know it's a bubble or it's not a bubble? How do you identify and, and, and avoid uh, bubbles? Totally right. That's the killer question is the problem with identifying if you're in a bubble is actually knowing that you're in one and and, and sometimes only knowing it once it's burst and it, um, the aftermath materialises. But I think um, my mention of human behaviours and driving a sort of pattern, you can see some distinct phases as a bubble builds. Um, so the first theme is that bubble as it builds um, in, in a particular asset or, or stock attracts more and more new investors until ultimately it's something of almost like an, a national hobby or a pastime. Nobody wants to miss out on returns and everyone's talking yeah. about the assets. So, you know, you've seen that probably with recent examples, hot topics over over dinner party chat like crypto. You know, suddenly you had families talking about trading um, crypto on their phone or um, the when a, a taxi driver might give you a, a hot stock tip. Some of these features could be the first idea of um, a discernible theme um, of, of a national pastime. Um, and then secondly, I think uh, bubbles sort of bring about this idea of an, a new normal or a new paradigm, something that's almost too good to be true, um, which can be used to justify the higher valuations that you pay. You know, to justify paying higher prices, you need to um, understand why that is. And it's almost the idea there's a new regime or a new technology yeah. advance. Um, and so opening up these kind of extra possibilities of 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 a of new substance and 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 that's often the case in in the early stages of a bubble but then you see it's not quite enough to justify the hype um of what the valuations become to um so then yeah, then, he, then thirdly i think kind of feedback loops which emerge over time and become self-fulfilling sucking more money in and 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 sort of intensifying the overvaluation point I love the explanation around the, the behavioral aspect because even for, you know, investors who are quite like passive investor, there's, there's a lot we can do on our own behaviors and trying to, you know, avoid like following the hype and following what everybody's doing with their investment. So we'll talk about that, but just quickly, what happens after a bubble burst? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's an idea that, um, there's that attractive hunting ground afterwards. So there's uh, attractive value that emerges. And, and if you take the example of something like Amazon, you know, during the Internet bust, uh, it was it heavily hurt and could have been in, in and amongst the rubble of these stocks that would never be the future. But if you'd have invested in Amazon just after the Internet bubble bursting, it's now one of the most you know valued companies in the world. So hunting around for value after a bubble fallout can be fruitful. Um, and I, I think that the key thing is, is 
uh, it could reset a new market cycle or it could actually just mean that there's a whole new regime regime change that uh, investors have to get used to. Um, you also can see sort of the emergence of, of blame and people kind of exposed as frauds as when there's high valuations, there's opportunity for, uh, you know, more more frauds or scapegoating to happen. So that's definitely another theme. Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's fascinating and, and it's it's definitely super important to, to know this and, and, and look into this even if you're you know passive investor just to, to understand what's happening in the market. But now when we look at our own behavior, how do we maximize our sleep at night factor and, and shut down the noise when investing? I think it's such a big thing for the Vespod community because we all have extremely busy life. We don't all have, you know, have access to a financial advisor, you know, like you, or maybe use like investment platforms. So how do we keep sane during this, um, this period of stress in the market? Yeah, it's, it's so important. A lot of when I talk about bubbles, it can, can um, disturb us to the point where we think it's too scary to invest. And the idea of sleep at night factor is, is, is really important. Although it makes me laugh when I think about uh, having a toddler and and a newborn on the way. Um, But each individual, I think, interprets this differently. So some of your listeners might be thinking, well, I wouldn't sleep well if I felt like I was missing out on this potential next best thing and the best investments that are really popular of the t- at the time. So the sort of FOMO element, the fear of missing out, that could be one person's uh, real nemesis. Um, but but in that case, you know, mindful of these manias and, and, and that whole issue of the next, next best stock issue might make others really feel uh, that they couldn't sleep if they were invested in something they felt was really overvalued. So you, you're more looking for a conservative or cautiously managed approach, even if you're doing that yourself. So that sort of foundation of does this decision help me to sleep at night is a good universal guidepost for wider financial decisions. I think, as you mentioned, um, when we talk about the spectrum of investing, me within the sort of active management landscape and being a discretionary manager to sort of be able to uh, make quite quick decisions in, in the height of volatility is important. But actually also for some of your listeners taking a step back and thinking about longer term goals and keeping focused on them and not being distracted by the noises is also important. Yeah. And and something you, you mentioned is, is maybe around risk also and our own biases and, and relationship with risk. Can you can you explain this a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Well, and it's a fascinating area, this I find behavioural finance. It's it's the idea that as much as we like to think we might be rational, we're not when it comes to any life decisions, let alone the decisions we make with our own money. So if if you think and reflect on your own past experiences with investing or currently, if you're trying to do it now, really take a step back and think about the narrative that you've built around your approach to risk. You know, it can be a roller coaster of emotion investing. If it goes well, you can feel elation. If it goes badly, you can feel despair and regret. Um, and the study of behavioural finance is, is its own individual discipline. There are over a 100 financial biases that we can show in our financial decision making. 
all the way through from anchoring. So thinking, oh, I bought this stock at a specific price, so I won't sell it until it gets back to that price if it's fallen. Regretted version, participating in that crowd madness, like I mentioned with bubbles. And all of these can have a tangible impact on on then how we act and how we actually behave, particularly when markets are more volatile. So panic selling in a crisis, you know, last year could have led many to if if you were new to investing, feel like you had to almost sell your positions to cut your losses. And actually, it might have been the best time to have added to positions, as we've seen the stock market has actually bounced um, since the end of last year, as an example. So it, the whole idea of considering your biases and your relationship with risk and trying to remove some of that noise is, is a really powerful one when you're thinking about your own journey with investing overarching all of this is is a mantra that you know people like making money but they hate losing it more so the power of not losing money and having that kind of balanced approach in your investments not concentrating too much in one area is 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 a, is a really good thing too yeah and it it also makes your life easier i mean from personal experience of you know trying to pick stocks and be be a very like active investor it requires a lot of time um knowledge a little bit of experience and yeah and making mistakes and recognizing your mistakes and moving on but it's also losing money um in, in the process um and and today we're talking mostly to 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 women, um, a lot investing money already, even if it's, you know, a little bit of money or thinking about starting, um, the journey. Do you see a difference? I mean, there's been a lot of research published about that, but do you see, um, a research, uh, <laughs> do you see a difference between men and women when they invest money? Do you think women are more risk adverse? It's something I, I hate saying. Um, but how do you, how do you approach like risk for, for women or is it something you see with your clients maybe? Yeah, I've I've heard you talk about it before, Emily, is like avoid this cliche of just saying that women are more generally <laughs> risk averse. And I totally subscribe to that, too. I, I find that sort of generalisation quite frustrating. Um, but we have seen the research, which is that women generally stay under invested um, and, and, and there's a long term cost of all of this. I mean, I even see it in my own personal finances versus the decisions I make in a work capacity, you know, how much cash we sit on because it's it feels safer. And that's a very dangerous thing, I um, anecdotally must add, you know, in, in an inflationary world to sit too much on cash, which you have for the long term in a time when the cost of living is going up, you're not growing that money. So I would prefer to sort of frame it as um, generally, you could say that uh, women could be more risk aware, think things through more and link to that point then of, of, of the starting point of not wanting to lose money. That's, that's a very powerful one. But ultimately, we're all different. We all have these different psychological biases and different starting points, which have shaped, been shaped by our experiences and our, and our future. What are your tips to navigate um, market fluctua fluctuations and, and invest in, in volatile times, times to, I guess, you know, protect your capital over the long term? I mean, we always thinking, uh, I mean, today we're talking like long term investing, maybe, you know, retirement money you, you're not going to need for the next like five to 10 years. I think uh, linked into something we touched on earlier, Emily, is the, the idea of sticking with it. Uh, it's almost the strength of your stomach over your brain and the overthinking. I think um, Warren Buffett once said, you know, the most impo important quality for an investor is your temperament, not your intellect. And these sorts of crazy markets 
can cause cause one to act or not act when when you should. So, I th- I think that's a really important um, consideration to be aware that these markets at the moment can swing quite quickly from an environment of extreme fear and that everything's you know doomsday scenario to greed again. You know, to the environment where risk on or risk taking is is encouraging and and you can make money. So. Uh, overarching that is how to invest in more volatile times is to think about the the strategy you have to protect your overall capital so to think truly about diversity uh, to question the assumptions that underpin investing um is it now a time to think to consider do you have the right balance of different assets in your overall portfolio and and so really really sort of taking a step back to to reflect on that but to remind yourself of your your wider objectives and how um, how often do you actually review these objectives because i guess especially as women i mean we had a, i run one of our boot camp last night and we talked about women's uh, you know life stages that you know life is not linear especially if you know you're the primary carer for maybe parents families kids uh, you may have to you know, drop um, out of the workforce. Maybe you don't have no earnings. Maybe you have less savings for a while. Um, and also maybe your your goals are changing. Maybe when you want to retire, what do you want to do in, in, in life? So when do you actually sort of reconnect with um, with your like long-term goals and, and reassess your, your portfolio? Yeah, it's important to do that regularly. I mean, as you say, so what your objectives will be and what you can do to accumulate wealth uh, Firstly, changes through time, and it depends on the stage of the financial journey you're on. So a wider financial plan can include such a range of topics from thinking about what your cash flow is at different times in your life, thinking about tax planning, then longer term retirement planning, everything all the way through to then end of life and legacy and inheritance planning. So really changes through time. But you can sort of link lots of these together when you start um, thinking about this in more detail from cash flow planning and thinking about how to build up a pot of investments and, and what your objectives are with that. So firstly, I think it's important that you kind of do clearly define those objectives for the for the medium term and, and acknowledge they might change over time and create that plan, but review it at least every every year or at big financial moments. So, you know, when you might be buying buying your first home, having children, retiring. Uh, but there are two distinct phases. There's the accumulation phase where you're basically trying to just start. And you talk about this a lot with, you know, just building up, investing. Um, the, the power there is the, the power of, pound cost averaging so in this case if you're adding to the investment savings pot regularly volatility can actually be your um, friend because it provides you with a chance if you're saving monthly to add into the market even when it's fallen but then when you come to decumulating and that phase when you actually need to live off that money in retirement that's it's a very different psychological phase and and your approach to investing would change then to have sort of perhaps a lower risk appetite because of the idea that you don't want to draw on this pot at a bad time. Thank you, Lauren. Um, and and finally, you know, where where do you learn about um, the market, um, who, what to trust? Obviously, not <laughs> not social media, but you know, if you had some you know some great resources um, for people to learn more um, and, and continue to do their their research. 
it's so hard when particularly when you're a beginner you know your starting point and level of knowledge it's a case of sort of building up confidence and to me one of the biggest challenges of finance as a whole is debunking all the jargon uh, so I would say don't be afraid of Investopedia you know it's such a good simple first platform yeah. where you can learn the definitions and start to really frame what does that really mean and then start reading financial articles so the Financial Times or Bloomberg and when there's a big event or an economic change think what impact might this have on the companies I'm investing in or the funds that I've chosen chosen or specific market positions of course, that's then when you're in the early stages and building your knowledge. Um, ultimately, when you get to a stage where you then need to find a professional that you can trust, it's all about that relationship of trust. So how transparent are they being? Are they simple with the way they explain things or do they bamboozle you? Uh, is their fee structure what they're going to charge you uh, approachable and understandable and, and and those sorts of things will really give you a feel for um, building up trust over time I think you know that the, the investment management world is has got this reputation of being men in suits with charts and actually there are lots of different personalities and you you yourself as a client who's investing in whichever way you're doing it have the power to ask decisions not to be pushed into anything and not to feel the pressure. Thanks, Lauren. And, and that's, you know, leads to my final question on, you know, how do you, I mean, most people are not going to have access to potentially someone like you, you know, an investment manager who can, you know, um, really help them on their investments. But if we do, like, what should we aim for? How do you, do people work with you? Um, and what type of questions can we, can we ask um, uh, an investment manager? Yeah, I've sort of I touched on some of these already, but you know, key questions is if you're working with an investment manager is, is their overall approach matched to your objective? There's objectives that you've considered. Uh what are the charges? What are the sort of the hidden questions that you need to be asking? Um, and, I, and I think ultimately, as I say, it comes down to that, that kind of do you trust them yeah. um, and how they how they complement your existing strategy and what you've been doing. So so not definitely rushing into anything and, and getting advice from um, a, a several people along the way will always help you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I will be talking about IPOs, initial public offerings, what it is, how it works, and is investing in an IPO a good or bad idea? <laughs>